0: Well, hey friends, it is so glad that you, I am so glad that you have joined us today. My name's Clay Munkus and I'm the lead pastor here at Next Level and today we are at the end of our series, Starting Point. And if you have missed any part in the series, uh, no worries, you can go to our website, nextlevelchurch.org, go to the On Demand tab and you'll find all of the messages that are there. But before we get to today's topic, I need to do kind of a one minute review of what we talked about last week. And last week, Uh, and this is really important, we said that Christians don't simply believe that something is true. As we talked about this topic of faith, we said we believe that something happened, right? And again, as a reminder, the thing that Christianity hinges on is not that we believe something is true. It's not that we believe Jesus was right and everybody else is wrong. The thing that is at the epicenter of what it means to follow Jesus is we believe something happened. And we believe that Jesus was crucified for our sins and God raised him from the dead. Now, what I want to do today is kind of review that event and then look at what happened almost immediately as a result of that event. And then I want to issue you a very important challenge. So to begin, we need to kind of go back... Before the crucifixion, before the resurrection of Jesus, the event that we're going to look at takes place about a year or so before Jesus is executed and then raises from the dead. Now, we're going to look at this event through the writings of a guy named Matthew. And Matthew tells us in his document that one day Jesus is standing with his disciples and they're looking at a city, right? And the city had just recently been renamed after Caesar, Caesar Augustus when he died in AD 14, right? little town about uh, 150 miles north of Jerusalem called Caesarea Philippi. This is what it looks like today. Now, it doesn't look like much here in this picture, uh, but in their time, what they were staring at was a beautiful thriving city again named after somebody that everyone knew because everyone knew who Caesar Augustus was he was the adopted son of the proclaimed divine Julius Caesar so everyone knew him as the son of a god and so while looking at this city all right named after the son of a god Jesus asked these guys who do you think I am kind of like he's saying look Caesar Augustus he's been considered the son of a god what do you guys think about me And in this questioning is where Peter blurts out a phrase that maybe you've heard before. He says this in Matthew chapter 16, verse 16. He says, Jesus, you, you are the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of the living God. And maybe implied in this statement was a dig at the Romans. Kind of like, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of a deceased God, but you were the Son of the living God. To which Jesus says to him, hey, Peter, you didn't come up with that on your own. God, my father, he kind of gave you that answer. And then Jesus says something that really is astounding. In verse 18, if you drop down, he says, And on this rock I will build my church. Now, there's been a lot of debate in church circles about what this rock is that Jesus is referring to. Some say that the rock is Peter's confession, this you are the Christ, right? And others, like the Catholic Church, say the rock is Peter. And lots of people are trying to figure out what it is, you know, what's this foundation that Jesus was referring to. But what I want to look at is that little word there, the word translated as church. Because in the Greek, that word church is ecclesia. ekklesia. Right? And that just simply means a gathering, an assembly, or a congregation. Now, think about how strange this might have sounded at the time. Because when Jesus makes this statement, I'm going to build my gathering, my congregation, my big gathering, they'll probably look around and thinking, well, there's like 13 of us right now. How is this going to be a congregation, right? They had no visions of a worldwide movement. They were 13 people. And how is this going to be? a gathering, a congregation. But you and I know that it would. In fact, it would be a Jesus gathering that would survive well beyond them. So Jesus makes this statement about having this massive gathering of people. And then, hundreds and hundreds of years later, as the New Testament was translated into English, there was a real tragedy of translation. And what happened? Instead of the Greek word ekklesia being used... They used a German word, and the German word they used was "Kirche," And "Kirche" means house of the Lord. So instead of a gathering or a congregation, which is focused on people, it became known as a place. Now, just as a side note... In the first English translation of the New Testament, which was written by William Tyndale, he doesn't use the word church, kirke, at all. In fact, he translated ecclesia properly. And then he was strangled and burned for it. But, but here's what you need to know. When Jesus makes this prediction, he didn't predict a place. He predicted a people, an ecclesia, a gathering He predicted a gathering with one thing in common, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And as we saw last week, after the crucifixion, they all lost faith in that. Obviously, he's not the Son of the living God. Obviously, uh, there will be no gathering. After all, he's dead, and we're all wrong. And yet, as we said last week, something changed. Because these very same men that watched him die and then ran for their lives when Jesus was arrested were the very same men who suddenly come back to life. And they say, we're back because we have seen a risen Savior. Then, a few weeks after Jesus rose from the dead, Jesus gathers a handful of followers. And we don't know how many people were there, uh, maybe 120 or so. And then he said these very famous words that tied into that prediction that we just read about one day there would be a Jesus gathering, a Jesus congregation, and here's what he said. Again, this is Matthew who gives us this prediction. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority has been given in heaven and earth. It's been given to me. And on the surface, that can kind of sound pretty arrogant, right? All authority has been given to me. Pretty arrogant for Jesus to think that or say that. Unless it was true. And perhaps the only reason this audience didn't get offended with that statement that day is because they were looking at a man they saw die. And when you predict your own death and resurrection and then pull it off, you can say something audacious like, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Because the resurrection demonstrated authority over the kingdoms of this world, over the high priest, over the Roman officials, over the emperor himself, and even over death. So Jesus makes this statement. And I'm sure uh, the next thought was, well well, Jesus, what are you going to do with all that authority? All authority has been given to me. What are you going to do? Look at the next verse, verse 19. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, and I'm sure they're thinking, oh this is going to be good. right? He's about to take charge of this place. He is going to set the government right. So Jesus says, in light of the fact, that all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me in light of the fact that I could ask you to do anything or I could do anything myself. Here's how I want to direct all that authority. Therefore, don't you know, they're, they're kind of sitting on the edge of their seats. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And I'm sure you're thinking, seriously? <laughs> like, that's what you want? Yeah, that's, that's what I want. And I have the authority to ask you, Do that now. Imagine these people, they're fugitives of the law, they have no influence, they have no connection, they have no money, no status, there's no social media, they have no organization. And Jesus says, Here's what I want you to do I want you to go into all the nations of the world and make Jesus followers of all the people of all the nations in the world. So, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So in other words, take everything that I taught you, take everything that you've seen me do, take those things that you learned from me about my Father, and go teach those things, and do those things with the people in all the nations. Not just your people, but all the people groups everywhere. And then he says, and surely I am with you always. As you go make those disciples, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And then he left, right? I am with you always. And then he left. (laughs) And then a few weeks later, according to Luke, who claims to have investigated everything, this same group, pours into the streets of Jerusalem with the message that we talked about last week. And the message was simple. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Say you're sorry. And the Jesus gathering, the ecclesia, the church, was launched in the city where these same events, the events of the trial, the execution, the crucifixion, and the resurrection took place. And this happened just within weeks, not months or years Right of when they took place. And this is important because it takes years and years, usually decades and decades, for a legend to be formed. Why? Because you need the people who actually lived during that time to die off so that the details of a legend can never be refuted. But these people were out in the streets proclaiming a resurrection, not years later, not decades later, just weeks after the event. And the church was launched. This ecclesia was out. But not around truth claims. Every religion gets its start around truth claims. The Jesus gathering began around an event, the resurrection of Jesus. And for two years, things went pretty well. Right? The early followers, they traveled about 100 miles north, 100 miles southwest. They were out. But then the movement stopped moving and the gathering stopped growing. Instead of going into all the world, like Jesus had said, they didn't really venture too far from home. Now persecution drove a few people out, but they only went far enough to avoid persecution. And it appeared that the Jesus gathering attended for everybody, and all nations wouldn't reach, really, hardly anybody. So God kind of looks out and he finds a religious leader. And just to kind of make a point, he finds a Pharisee, a part of the very same group that had Jesus crucified. And at the point that Jesus reveals himself to this guy named Saul, who later becomes Paul, he's hunting down Christians, throwing them in prison, or worse, he's having them executed. In fact, if you've ever heard the story of the execution or the stoning of a man named Stephen, Saul, this guy, was the one present and responsible for his death. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul, soon to be Paul, tells us his story of his encounter with Jesus. An encounter so powerful that he dedicates his life to the spreading of the news of what Jesus has done for everyone. And then for about 30 years, he travels the Mediterranean and starts these little ecclesias, these Jesus gatherings. And as he would travel to new cities, he would write letters back to the churches that he started. And those letters are now preserved, and we have them. They're half of what we call the New Testament. Well, eventually, Paul finds himself in Rome. He's 63 years old. Nero is the emperor. you probably heard of him. He's under arrest, and he's awaiting a trial that would ultimately lead to his execution. And keep in mind, he's living in a world that we can't even comprehend because we live in a world with rights. We live in a world that is compelled to fight for injustice, but this is a time and a world that's dictated by the words of one man. The emperor Nero. It's a world where Christians were fair game and any kind of torture and any kind of abuse could be done. In fact, Nero would torture and execute Christians and others for sport or, or just kind of sick entertainment. And here is Paul awaiting a trial with those odds stacked against him. And I have to imagine Paul had to wonder if this Jesus thing would continue, if his labor was in vain, if he'd been given his entire life to something that would be overrun and stamped out by the might of Rome and the influence of paganism. Then eventually, one morning, they come for Paul. They took him through the forum outside to the city to behead him. And here's the picture of the last thing that he would have seen. This, this is the Roman Forum, would have been one of the last things that Paul saw when he left prison on his way to execution. And as he was marched away from the Forum, he would have gone past Nero's circus, beyond Tiberius's palace. And imagine if you or I could walk beside him and just whisper in his ear, hey, Paul, Paul, it worked. Jesus did it, he kept his promise, he built His Ecclesia And Paul, I know this is hard to believe, but one day this entire city will be adorned with symbols and reminders of Jesus' life and the lives of his followers. One day, Nero's circus right over there where Nero is persecuting your fellow Christians, where he's allowing wild animals to tear Christians apart, where he's feeding your brothers and sisters to lions. One day, this spot where Nero is crucifying Christians, where eventually he's going to crucify your friend Peter upside down. One day, in this same place where he impales Christians on stakes, puts tar in their hair and lights them on fire to light his gardens, one day, Paul, Nero Circus will be the site of one of the most magnific- magnificent structures in the world, a building that will be dedicated to your friend Peter. In fact, it's going to be called St. Peter's Basilica. And Paul, man, if you could just see this thing, it, it, it will be one of the most beautiful buildings in the world and for centuries people will come from all over the world not to worship jupiter not to worship mars or the emperor they will come to worship jesus in it they will study its architecture it will be adorned with all the symbols of the same jesus movement that you helped start and someday people will visit rome Not to visit the tombs of Nero or Caesar or Augustus. Instead, they will ask, where was the Apostle Paul imprisoned? Hey, where was Peter buried? And one day, there will be no Roman Empire, but there will be ecclesias everywhere, all over the world. And people will read your letters, Paul, in 1,200 languages. And once a year, people all over the world will read the name Caesar Augustus. Not in connection with any great deeds that he did, but he will be a footnote in the story of Jesus because he just happened to be the emperor when Jesus was born. And one last thing. I want you to hear this, Paul. Someday people are going to name their sons Peter and Paul, and they're going to name their dogs Nero and Caesar. right? And don't you know that that was unimaginable? Impossible, but that's exactly what happened. And don't miss this. Just as Jesus predicted it would happen, Jesus made a promise because there, outside of Caesarea Philippi, with 12 men, he said this. Let's go back and look at it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18 I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And the gates of Hades, didn't overcome it. Jesus' death didn't stop it. Paul's death didn't stop it. Peter's death didn't stop it. The death of tens of thousands of martyrs, generations of death didn't stop it. Nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop the advancement of the ecclesia of Jesus. And here's where I want to land this series. As you consider your adult starting point with your faith, I want to invite you to join a movement That is based on the indisputable activity of God because you have been invited to participate in the multi ethnic, multinational, unstoppable activity of God. Let me put it this way God is up to something in the world, and you have been invited to play a part. And the foundation of this movement, of this ecclesia, is not a truth claim, it's an event. An event that began in a promise, and a promise that has been kept. Jesus said, I will build my gathering, and nothing, nothing, nothing is going to stop it. So, the question that I kind of want to wrap up with and I want you to wrestle with is this. Based on everything that I've learned, what's my next step? What is my next step? It could be to continue to just come and listen. And I would add to that the word consistently. Maybe it's to consistently come and listen because here's what I've learned after doing this gig for over 30 years of my life. The people that experience true life change are the ones that consistently expose themselves to the ecclesia of Jesus. On a regular basis, they gather with other Jesus followers to learn, to worship, to be encouraged, to serve one another. And over time, this changes them. And you've been invited to play a part and what God is doing in the world. And in order to do that, you got to show up. you got to participate. The Jesus, Jesus movement is not a spectator sport. You have to play a role. And for some of you, you've been coming consistently. Right? You're getting plugged in. You're receiving the encouragement and the friendship of other Jesus followers. And now you need to look around at who you can invite to come with you. Right? You don't need to hide what you're experiencing. You need to say to someone, I just want to invite you to come and see what I have found. Like I found a place. I found this ecclesia where you can explore faith in Jesus. A place where you don't have to have everything worked out. A place where you can come with your doubts. A place where you can come with your skepticism. Come with all of your concerns. You just got to come and see. It's been really helpful for me. And I think it might just be helpful for you too. Maybe for others, your next step, uh, maybe you've been coming and now it's time to just openly declare your faith or trust in Jesus. Uh, If you've been invited to play a role, you got to accept the invitation. You have to step up and identify yourself. And for us, that public declaration is baptism. You saw that here today. And if you're ready, I would love to baptize you. We're gonna, we have the tank today. If you want to go today, we can do it today. Or if you're not ready today, go to our website, nextlevelchurch.org. Go to the Next Steps tab, and you'll see a place to sign up for our next baptism. That could be a great next step. For others, maybe your next step is to volunteer. And here's something you may have never thought of. When you volunteer at a church, you're not just filling a position. You're not just taking an open spot. When you serve at a church, you are connecting with hundreds of millions of people throughout the ages that are at the epicenter of God's activity in the world. You are actively playing a role in the thing that God is up to in the world. And you can find a place to sign up for that on our website as well. Similarly, we ask you each week you know, when you give to a local church that's in the process of making disciples, Jesus followers, you're giving your money. To the greatest, most eternal investment possible. Because Jesus is involved in building his church, his ecclesia. So, the summary of what I'm saying is this. You can do lots of other things. You can coach your kid's team. You can serve on committees. You can run for political office. All of those are great things. There's an infinite number of things that you can do with your life. But you can't do anything more significant than getting involved in his church because God is up to something in the world and you have been invited to play a part. I can't think of anything more important to do than that. The church is the hope of the world because the church, the ecclesia of Jesus, is the vehicle by which God is bringing the solution to humankind's greatest problem, sin, sorrow, death. So take a step. Come be a part of the solution. So whatever your step is, I wanna encourage you to take that step. You will never, ever, ever regret it. And this step may, in fact, be your adult starting point as you reconsider what God wants you to do in your life and through your life. Whatever you're considering, whatever it is that you're thinking, whatever is stirring in your heart, pay attention to that. Come, be a part of the solution, play your part. God is up to something in the world. Come and be a part of the solution play your role. Play a part. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I I am so thankful that um, you know us on a personal level. Your love and attention to each of us, it truly is remarkable. Your invitation to play a role in what you're doing in the world is incredible, and I am humbled that you would use any of us for that mission. And now I pray for all of us that you would look that we would look at your invitation. And as we consider our adult starting point for faith, God, give us the strength and the courage to take our next step. If it's to become consistent in my gathering with your people, give me the strength to say no to the things that would keep me away from your people. If it's to invite people to come and see what I have found, give me the opportunity and the courage to do that. If it's to take the next step in baptism, God, I, I commit to doing that. It's to play an active role by serving or giving. God, give me the courage to step outside my comfort zone and do just that. Jesus, as we wrap up this series, we pray for everyone that feels distant from you and believe that your gathering, your ecclesia, your church, they believe it's not for them. May they feel your love and experience and personal invitation to come and see the ecclesia. Jesus, thank you for assuring us you are more than enough that you meet all our needs and our desires. We pray that our church will continue to reflect your love and be a place where anyone and everyone can come and see you, the Savior of the world. We love you. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, friends, thanks for joining us today. If you think today's message might be valuable to someone you know, would you mind sharing this video? Not only could it be helpful for them, But by helping to share this content as well as liking and subscribing to whatever channel you're watching this on, you help us to accomplish our mission to raise the reputation of Jesus. And along those lines, I ask you this each and every week, uh, would you head over to our website? Would you click on the big green give button at the top and choose one of those giving options there? Your faithful support helps us raise the reputation of Jesus where we live, work, and play. Now, as we wrap up this whole series by way of benediction, uh, let me end with something that Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. He said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. May you, right where you're at, recognize that God is up to something in our world and may you take seriously Jesus' invitation to play a role in that. Hey, next week we're going to start a new series called Sweet Little Lies where we're going to uncover the lies we believe and the things that are actually true. It all begins next Sunday at 10 a.m. So why don't you invite someone to join you next week at Next Level. Have a blessed week. I'm praying for you. I love you. We'll see you back next week.